want us to keep in our minds a few phrases from the song as we turn to God's word. From verse 3 we sing, For nothing good have I whereby your grace to claim. Nothing good have I whereby your grace to claim. And then the refrain, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a, it, sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow, as we think of Jesus paying it all, that we owe him all things and have contributed nothing on our behalf. Our scripture reading this evening is two texts, one from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, that can be found on page 1211 in your pew Bible. We will also be reading from Philippians 3, verses 1 to 11. It can be found on page 1,249 in your pew Bible. That is our scripture reading. We will be reading as well the articles from the Belgic Articles 20 and 21. And that can be found on page 173 in your Forms and Prayers book. Before we read, let's pray. Father in heaven, we turn to your word and we pray that you would speak to us through it, that we would listen, that we would be in awe of you, specifically this evening as we turn our attention to the atonement and our contribution or lack of a contribution to the atonement. We pray that we would have humility that what would be impressed upon us is the debt has been paid and we owe nothing. We ask that we would be struck anew or if not struck by new information, instead struck by what you have done to praise you and to give you glory. Bless us in that this evening, we pray. Amen. This evening I am first going to read, we're going to change it. Normally I read from the text first and then the Belgic. This evening we're going to read from the Belgic first and then the texts. So we'll begin in Article 20. On page 173, it's the justice and mercy of God in Christ. We believe that God, who is perfectly merciful and also very just, sent his Son to assume the nature in which the disobedience had been committed in order to bear in it the punishment of sin by his most bitter passion and death. So God made known his justice toward his Son, who was charged with our sin, and he poured out his goodness and mercy on us, who are guilty and worthy of damnation, giving to us his Son to die by a most perfect love, and raising him to life for our justification, in order that by him we might have immortality and eternal life. Article 21. Before reading Article 21, just a comment. We are not going to look at Article 20 in its fullness. We read that more to understand what's going on. The, in Article 20, you're seeing the justice and mercy of God on display. We looked at that in Article 16 of the Belgic on election, and we looked at some of the other particulars in other ways. We're going to focus our attention on Article 21 this evening, the atonement, and we will be focusing our attention specifically on one portion of it, which I will point out. Article 21, the atonement. We believe that Jesus Christ is a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, made such by an oath, and that he presented himself in our name before his Father to appease his wrath with full satisfaction by offering himself on the tree of the cross 
and pouring out his precious blood for the cleansing of our sins, as the prophets had predicted. For it is written that the chastisement of our peace was placed on the Son of God, and that we are healed by his wounds. He was led to death as a lamb's. He was numbered among sinners and condemned as a criminal by Pontius Pilate, though Pilate had declared that he was innocent. So he paid back what he had not stolen, and he suffered the just for the unjust in both his body and his soul in such a way that when he sensed the horrible punishment required by our sins, his sweat became like big drops of blood falling on the ground. He cried, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And he endured all of this for the forgiveness of our sins. Therefore, we rightly say with Paul that we know nothing but Jesus Christ, Jesus and him crucified. We consider all things as dung for the excellence of the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We find all comforts in his wounds and have no need to seek or invent any other means to reconcile ourselves with God than this one and only sacrifice once made which renders believers perfect forever. This is also why the angel of God called him Jesus, that is, Savior, because he would save his people from their sins. Now we turn our attention to God's holy and infallible word, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I know we're reading a lot of different texts, but this sets the the stage, it sets the table for what we're going to look at this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the, of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Last, we turn to Philippians 3, verses 1 to 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. 
ascends the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. People of God, one man tells the story of receiving a very generous offer from a family he knew. This family was going to Disney World, and they wanted to take this man and his family with them. In fact, they wanted to treat them to everything. Hotel rooms, meals, tickets in the park, everything they could possibly need to enjoy this trip as much as the host family themselves. The guy offering the trip told him that he had one condition and one condition only. If you pay for anything, you pay for everything. In other words, try to pull out your wallet to pay for anything and you're going to owe for everything. He insisted it was to be entirely his treat or none of it would be his treat. That had the desired effect of keeping the man's wallet in his pocket. He never tried to pay for a thing. This is a fitting story and illustration of what the atonement is. You try to pay for anything, you pay for everything. It's either by God's grace through Christ and faith alone, or it's by works alone. If you think it's a little bit by what I do, if it's a little bit what I can accomplish, if I just need to keep myself saved, if I just need to do something to keep my standing with God... Lost it. You pay for anything. You pay for everything. You want just to pay the part of the atonement. You've lost the atonement. And this shows the the grief, the sorrow, where we look at, at so many trying to achieve righteousness with God by their works. And uh, uh, just a suffering, a, a bottomless pit winding down and down, thinking you can achieve holiness and righteousness, the atonement by the law, and you cannot. And even those who might claim, well, no, it's, it is by faith, and it is by grace, and it's by, it's by faith and my contribution. It's by faith and my work of faith. It's, it's these things. No, if you pay for anything, you pay for everything. This is sadness of the crushing weight of sin isn't on you and it can't be. Just like in our illustration, this man who was going to be brought to Disney World, he couldn't afford the trip. He could go on another's dime and he could have a good time, but if he was going to pay for it, if he was going to try to make anything about himself that he could give, then it would be a trip he could not afford. And the same is true for our trip to heaven. It is a trip we cannot afford. And if we try to pay any of it, we are lost. It has been paid, and so the condition is faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. This is how we reach heaven. This is that trip that we can take. And so Article 21 of the Belgic is about the atonement. What is the atonement? It is reconciliation. We can break the word down itself because it's, it's a bit difficult to define. If someone was, was to ask you, what's the atonement? How would you define it? You can break the word itself down, separate it. It's at-one-ment is what the atonement is. It's bringing the two parties that were, that were separated and that there was sin, it's bringing them back together as one into a union, into that cohesive relationship. It's at-one-ment. They're together again. It's reconciliation, it's restitution, full payment, forgiveness. That's what the atonement is. 
The earlier portion of this article in the Belgic says, Jesus presented himself in our name before his Father to appease his wrath with full satisfaction by offering himself on the tree of the cross. This is a veiled response to the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church where, where they taught that it was salvation by grace and faith, but then there was also that element where you were, you were saved, but you needed an initial justification at your baptism, and then you needed an ongoing justification by means of sanctification through penance and good works and final justification after purgatory. You see, there's in the Roman Catholic understanding, there's multiple levels of justification. That initial one brought at baptism, a continuing one that, that is achieved through your, your works, through penance, good works, and then a final justification after the cleansing of purgatory. And so this is a, a somewhat or not so veiled response to that, saying it isn't that at all. It isn't that you're saved in Christ, but then need to do this. You're saved or you're not in him. Now, as I said, I don't plan on dealing with the entirety of Article 21. Much of the first portion on Jesus Christ being in the order of Melchizedek, as you can see there, we covered months ago when we looked at Psalm 110. I don't want to focus on that specifically. We also have just went through Good Friday. We went through Easter. We looked at the suffering and death of Christ. That contains much of what the article looks at in the Passion of Christ. So here's the section... Where I want to focus on today, it's really what we read in Scripture. It's the focus at the end of that article with the therefore. Therefore, we rightly say with Paul that we know nothing but Jesus and him crucified. We consider all things as dung for the excellence of the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We find all comforts in his wounds and have no need to seek or invent any other means to reconcile ourselves with God than this one and only sacrifice once made, which renders believers perfect forever. I'm going to switch up a little bit what I had put in your, your handout in the bulletin. We're just going to look at one point this evening. That first point, counting rubbish. We are going to, to only focus on that. This is what I think will give to us a great understanding. It's an impor important point that we need to focus on. Counting rubbish, what does that mean? We are quick to elevate ourselves. We are quick to want to point out what we are good at, what we have done that is good. It is about boasting, often. That's how we live. We want to elevate it. We come to arguments with others about whether or not a good idea was ours initially or whether it was someone else's. We want to display our learning or our abilities. Some of us, as just an example, you could think of such like games like trivia games. Some of us love trivia games. It gives us an opportunity to show what we know, an opportunity to, to elevate ourselves above someone else and, and be the first to answer or be the only one to know some fact. And we like that. We like to elevate ourselves. We boast in ourselves. And the flip side is still boasting. Perhaps we don't like such games because it makes us feel inferior. We don't like when others stand over us, when, when someone else is better at something that we like and something that we would want to be good at. We don't like that. And so what, why am I saying this? Because I find it amazing what Paul says then in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 3. He is a, a gospel man. He's a preacher. His very vocation is his words, his speech, those abilities. And yet we see routinely in the epistles and the letters that he was critiqued for being less than stellar in his words and in his speech. 
There are others that were placed above him. There are others that that you see in Corinthians, Paul's coming into conflict with, as he deems them, these super-apostles. These ones that the Corinthians hold up to such a high standard and and no doubt with many gifts and abilities. And and so in a world where, in a job itself, where you would want to elevate yourself, you don't want to be the one who's inferior. What does Paul say? And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided, and I draw attention to that, what Paul says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. That's the Apostle Paul who came to Corinth, a place that prized knowledge, that prized displays of wisdom, who was at the top of this pyramid who was the most wise, the most gifted. And what does Paul say? I didn't come here pretending to to give lofty speech. I came with a very simple message. In fact, I decided to know nothing else but this message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When Paul says that he didn't come in wisdom, what we're not supposed to take by that, meaning that he came in nonsense, that his message was of nonsense. He's, he's placing the wisdom of the world in distinction to the wisdom of the gospel, coming and proclaiming that gospel message, which is foolishness to these wise men. Paul didn't come in that knowledge. He came to give this true statement, the statement of the true atonement, the only atonement in Christ. This is what Paul displayed to a community that valued these things. We see in Paul's words a practical application of the doctrine of atonement. He gives in these words a practical application of the doctrine of atonement. It isn't our abilities and gifts, and it's no other message than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And then we read from Philippians 3. Paul's point there is that he had a pedigree, a resume, that would allow him to boast if it was according to the law, if it was according to works. Paul could boast. None like him if it was really what these false teachers were saying. If it was really in any way about something. Maybe not the whole thing. Maybe it was just about the circumcision and the quality of the circumcision and your standing. Maybe if it was just that, well, Paul had that highest standing. And what does he say? He counted all that as, as garbage. Rubbish, or as the Belgic says, dung. Poop. But say it for what it is. That's what it is. That's the way he counted it. All of that, all that the world could offer, all that we take such pride in, and I'm purposely saying it in this way, it's like smearing poop on your face. That's what it is. That's what it is to boast in what we've done. That's our contribution. Garbage. Rubbish. He counts it all as loss. Something that gave him no standing. Something that didn't give him anything superior. He could not boast in these things. His only boast, the only thing he could cling to, was Christ. Because people of God, if you try to pay for anything, you're responsible for it all. 
Now, do we do this? Do we fall into this? You know, this is why the message is foolish to the world. Why is the beginning of true wisdom the fear of the Lord? Because there are two categories of men. There are the wise and there are the fools. Those are the two categories in God's word. Those who reject God and this gospel message are considered the fools. Those who see it, those who are, or better put, have been shown it, have been brought to it, have been given that gift, are considered the wise, not for what they've done. Not for any reason they can boast, but because they see the true answer to life itself is Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and thus they have that knowledge, they have that wisdom. And the Belgic says... Because of all that Christ has done in bringing atonement and bringing that and one because of all that, we rightly say that we know nothing but Jesus and him crucified and consider all as that rubbish, things like dung. There are two ways I want us to, to look at this. Because you can count, my, my point this evening is that we need to count the dung, counting rubbish, counting this. Well, how do you count it? There are two ways. You can count it by prizing it, which is inherently foolish. Do we prize our garbage? Do we prize our rubbish? Every time we seek to stand on our pride and say, yes, but what did I do here? Look what I did. Look what I'm capable of. That's prizing garbage. That doesn't stand God's test purity. We're spreading that manure on our face if we believe that. So when we count as rubbish, what we're counting that is our contribution. It doesn't exist in that way. So there's that way to count it, to prize it in that foolishness. There's another way to count it, to count all as that dung in comparison. And we'll see that as we go through. So... Really, the two points I want to look at this evening under this one point we're looking at is, first, do you count all things outside of Christ as dung for your salvation? And then, do you count all things as dung in your life compared to it? So do we count all things for our salvation outside of Christ as dung? This is the context that Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 2 and Philippians 3. And then this is when we have to ask, do we really count our good works as refuse? Do we really believe that our obedience before God is not responsible for our standing, how he views us? Let me give you an example, an illustration I think we can relate to. We struggle with devotions. It's easy. It's easy to struggle with that. And there may be times in life where you come to the realization, I, I don't even know where I'm reading. If I read anything, I forget it. My prayers are suffering. I'm not spending any time. There's multiple days I haven't read. This can happen. And then what could accompany that is then that feeling, oh no, God's upset with me. I don't measure up because of what I've done, because of my lack of devotions. He, he must be very upset and his face turned away. So what I need to do is I, I need to have devotions to garner his good pleasure again. If we don't think of it like that, we can often act like that. Now, I risk this as an illustration. I risk it because... We don't turn away from our consciences, and, and being, being struck by our conscience to have good devotions is wonderful. That's what should happen. But I'm looking at the other side of that. I'm looking at where we go with that. So if it's not just devotions, maybe it's a sin. And you've, you've committed this sin, and then you think that God is displeased with me, and what you mean by that is in your standing with Him. 
And now I need to go and do something to pay just a little bit back. To just get a little bit back to where I was at. And, and what we're supposed to see here is that our standing before God is all on Christ. Good works matter. Good works are our appreciation. They give glory to God. He is even pleased by them, and so we should pursue them. But, do, but our law-keeping for our standing for our salvation is worthless. We don't have that currency. Our good works aren't the right currency to pay for salvation. It's like trying to pay at the store with Monopoly money. It doesn't work. They're not going to accept it. It's the wrong currency. So when we try to bring our good works and say, here is the currency for my better standing with God, we don't achieve that. It doesn't even compute, and we have to realize that our standing before God is secured if we trust, if we believe in Christ. It's that illustration we began with. The trip is paid for. All we must do is cling only to him and seek not to pay something for it. We do this all the time. We think we've got to pay something. You're out to dinner, someone offers to pay the whole bill, and you say, at least let me get the tip. At least let me do this. There is none of that in God's word. There is none of that in salvation. The atonement is full restoration in Christ being brought to him. And so God sees us as he sees his own son. And so we do not drop in God's estimation when we fail. It's an amazing truth. In Christ, our standing before God does not diminish. And that isn't a license to sin. If we, if, if we would say, well, then we can sin, that, that is a mark of having no true faith. For a true faith would bring us to obedience, to want to obey God for doing this. For doing what he has, for, for responding in grace for all that he has done. And so we cannot doubt that. We cannot look to what we have done and see that as salvation. I say it because we often live as if what Paul rejects in Philippians 3 is what we need to cling to. Paul had a great pedigree, a great, a great amount of blessings to bring, and he had actually nothing. And the opposite is true, too, of not just our guilt. We can feel secure because of our works. We can feel secure in what we've done. We can think we're close to God because we, we've put to death this sin, and we're having good devotions, and we're doing X, Y, Z, and these all things. This means God is very pleased with us. And God is pleased when his people obey him. That's not what we're saying. But when, again, we look to that to say, I've just garnered a greater station with God because of my works. No, you haven't. That's in Christ. All that we give back to God is praise and worship. And he will bless that. He will bless that in heaven itself. Not for your standing before him. Not for your salvation. It is secured in Christ. All external holiness is as meaningless as scum for our standing, our salvation with God. So that's what I first want us to see in this, that, that our actions are, or counting rubbish is to see that it isn't for our salvation at all. But secondly, do you count all things as, as dung in your life compared to this in a general way? 
What do I mean with this? We can leave it in, yes, for salvation purposes, I look only to Christ. But what Paul's point is, or a greater application of Paul's point is, that statement that it's all in Christ means that even the things of this world are counted as rubbish compared to it. We're not going to read it, but he gives an example in 2 Corinthians 11 of all that he endured. I'll just mention some of the things. He had been whipped. He had been shipwrecked. He had been beaten numerous times. And he goes and takes all these things, and that's just a portion of what he suffered for Christ. And Paul says the whole time that he's boasting about it, that this is foolishness to boast about this. That it isn't about that, that he counts it in Christ and him crucified, that these things are, are, are worth it. You see, what he's getting at is, if this is true, and it is, and the atonement is true, this means we count all things that might step in between us and God as rubbish. So this is, that's what I'm trying to say. It's Our salvation is all of Christ, and we can't count anything of our own for our salvation. But that also means, because that is true, it means all the other things in the world, all the other entertainments, all the other things we might look to, that as well is counted as something that's garbage compared to this. That's why then Paul is willing to undergo beatings and shipwrecks and the loss of all earthly comforts to be content while he's in prison with nothing else because of that truth that we began with. The trip is paid for. Heaven is open. He clings to Christ. So all else is garbage. That's the truth. Does that mean there aren't good things in the world? Of course not. Does that mean we don't prize our families? Absolutely not. But what it does mean is that even your family, even your spouse, even your kids, do not take the place of God. Take the place of that message in your heart. And in that way, we can describe it as that is garbage if it interferes with your love for Christ, if it interferes with that gospel message then it is something to be scorned. That's the the truth behind what Jesus tells his people when he says to to forsake family and, and forsake father and mother, to forsake brother and sister. He's not meaning that we don't prize family. He's meaning that for the sake of Christ, all things are counted as secondary, as set apart. And so we need to count these things We need to count rubbish to see that our salvation is not in ourselves, to see that all things don't stand in us. I'm going to read just one portion from 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 to 10. Therefore I will boast all the more, this is Paul, therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Wow. Because of the atonement, because of that message, Paul is content with what? Insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. Are we content with any of those things? Often not. 
that's okay because we're, we're seeking this. We're seeking the faith of Paul. We're seeking to imitate him. That because of the gospel message, because of who we are in Christ, we are content to undergo those things, counting all other things as rubbish, as garbage, for the sake of Christ and him crucified, of knowing him. There's that old expression, you can't have your cake and eat it too. can't. You can't have Christ and boasting in your works. You can't have Christ and put something else on his level or in his place. So as we see in Paul's own life, it means an utter forsaking of all things for Christ and what he's done. And this is something to rejoice in. If you pay for anything, you pay for everything. You try to stand at all on yourself, you fail. And even while saved, we should hear this, that our standing before God and his love for us comes through Christ. This is why we count all as dung compared to this. This is why we boast in weakness and then find strength. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we turn to you having heard this message, this message that we count you And you alone, what you have done, Lord Jesus, is our salvation, our only and our one justification, where we look to nothing else, we look to no one else. And we pray that as we live this life, we would realize that even our standing before you is secured and and unmoving. And let this truth help us to reach greater levels of holiness and obedience to your law and your word, that we may live and be living sacrifices before you, sending constant showers of of incense before you, a sweet-smelling aroma by being a living sacrifice. We pray that as well we would count all things of the world, even the good things, even the things that you have made that you have given to us to enjoy, that these things would not supersede the place of Christ, that we would be willing to give them all up for this great truth. We praise you. For having paid it all. We see, we've seen that. We've sung it. That Jesus has paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. And you've washed it as white as snow. Amen.